Hey, I'm Pastor Chris, and the teaching or conversation that you're about to hear is from the student ministry at Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church. If you have any questions or you'd like to get into contact with us, please visit us on our website at cedarcrest.church forward slash students. Now I pray that God would use this resource to richly bless you in your walk with him. good to be here um, to bring the word. And um, may I ask you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Tonight we're going to be in verses 19 through 30. And we're going to be talking about true worship. And so what I want to do is I want to stand together. Um, to read the Word of God together, and then we will pray. So why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word. Starting at verse 19. God's Word says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your very word. Lord, you have spoken clearly, and I pray that tonight you would help us as we come before your word, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, I pray that no one would leave this room without seeing Jesus more clearly. I pray that you would use your word for the purposes you have it to be used for tonight. God, would you humble us all, including me, greatly beneath your word. And I just pray, God, that you would work in our hearts. Teach us more about what true worship is. And may we understand that you alone, God, command and have the right to tell us how you ought to be worshipped. And I ask this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as Christopher mentioned, Brother Ben uh, took us through verses 1 through 42. And I was just listening to that message on my way here to PA on Friday and Just learning about how much more Jesus is all satisfying. And so I won't be talking on the broad of chapter 4. But I want us to just have a a brief context before our passage. If you look at verses 7 through 10, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, 
Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And we'll see a big distinction in a second. Jesus answered her, if you knew. So we see first, you must know this gift, the gift of God and and who it is. We must know the giver of the gift that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So you must know the gift the giver of the gift, and you must ask of this gift to receive it. And then you look at verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so this Samaritan woman is asking for what she doesn't even know or understand. In a moment we will see that they worship what they do not know. So then what Jesus did in verse 16 is that he changes the subject, showing that her blindness to who he was and the gift of living water that he offers flowed from her blindness to her own greatest need, the rescuing from her sin. This woman, as you learned a couple weeks ago, was was seeking materialistic pleasures, looking just at the earth for satisfaction when the only one who can satisfy our souls is Jesus Christ. And is that any one of us in this room tonight? That we are seeking this earth for pleasures to satisfy us. And we will come to realize that that thirst will never be quenched until it's found in Christ. And so Jesus in verses 17 through 18 exposes this woman's sin before her. And her response in verse 19 only affirms that what Jesus said about her was indeed true. So let's look at verse 19. The woman said to him, sir... I perceive that you are a prophet. So she understood that what Jesus knows about her, no mere human being would know without her telling them. And this teaches us that we cannot hide our sin from Jesus. And secondly, the good news of salvation is only tasted when one comes to embrace the bad news of their sin first. But what this woman does next is that she shifts the conversation to the subject of our passage tonight, which is about worship. Listen to what she says in verses 20 through 22. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So first, what I want us to see in this passage is that true worshipers are not determined by where they are physically. Just because we come to Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church does not mean that we worship God truly. I can come to this church, be around Christians and honor God with my lips. But at the same time, my heart is far from him. And so it's not about the location we are in. And you see, the Jews and Samaritans had a strong tension about location. Between about which place was it that people ought to worship God? Look at verses 20 and 21 again. Our fathers, she says, worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And so both Jews and Samaritans recognized under the old covenant that God commanded his people to worship him in a specific location. Deuteronomy 12.5 says, But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. But there's a big difference between Jews and Samaritans. 
The Jews hold to the whole Old Testament as God's word, as sacred scripture. The Samaritans, on the other hand, only hold to the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so the Jews, because they held to the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament, they recognized that Jerusalem was the place that people ought to worship God and where he has chosen for them to worship. It was there that Solomon, David's son, built the temple. And in 2 Chronicles 6, 6, God says, I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. And I have chosen David to be over my people, Israel. But the Samaritans, who only held to the first five books, they recognized Mount Gerizim as the place people ought to worship. It was near the city of Shechem where Abraham built an altar to the Lord in Genesis 12. And it was from this very mountain that the people of Israel proclaimed the blessings of obedience to God's commandments. And you see, this Samaritan woman in our passage, she knows that Jesus is a Jew. We saw that in verse 9. But she also perceives Jesus to be some kind of Jewish prophet. He has more knowledge than an ordinary man. And one man says, there are some people who cannot engage in a religious conversation with a person of a different persuasion without bringing up the points on which they defer. So this woman knows that Jesus is a Jew. She perceives him to be a prophet. And she knows that Jews and Samaritans have this Tension between them on, well, Jerusalem is where people ought to worship. Well, no, this mountain is where people ought to worship. So, so which place is it? She asks. And Jesus says in verses 21 and 22, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus says the hour is coming. Back in John chapter 2, we saw Jesus tell his mother, my hour has not yet come. Well, now he says the hour is coming. This speaks of his cross, his resurrection, his exaltation. So he says the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So Jesus is telling this woman that this issue of place of worship would soon be irrelevant. That in the new covenant, the ceremonies and rituals of either Jews or Samaritans would become obsolete no more. And then in verse 22, he says, You, Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We, Jews, worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. See, the Samaritans lacked knowledge because they rejected most of the Old Testament scriptures. And John Calvin says, This is a sentence worthy of being remembered. And teaches us that we ought not to attempt anything in religion rashly or at random. Because unless there be knowledge, it is not God that we worship, but an idol. We learn that men can do nothing but err when they are guided by their own opinion without the word or command of God. It is very important that we we know the truth. And so Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Salvation came first to the Jews, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And secondly, Jesus, the Messiah, the source of salvation, was himself a Jew. And so then Jesus continues in verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here. 
When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So secondly, what we see is that true worshipers worship from a heart stirred by truth. And so where you are physically when you worship is not the issue, but the nature of our worship. Is our worship merely external? Just an outward conformity to rituals. Do we really know the truth and adore the one whom the truth reveals? Or do we simply just recite truth without genuine adoration for God, who he is and what he has done for sinners through his son? You see, true worship, Jesus says, is in spirit and in truth. It's in spirit, meaning it's not just going through the emotions and rituals, but it's rooted in a deep personal adoration for God that flows from our hearts. But it's also in truth, meaning that our worship flows from the truth we know from God's word. Our worship is based upon what God has revealed in Scripture of Himself and Jesus Christ, who is Himself the way, the truth, and the life. We see that these two must go together. Worship is not just in truth. Someone who doesn't know Jesus can come into this room, recite the truth in the songs we just sang, recite truth by reading the Bible, But they have never come to embrace the truth, to come to Jesus, to know and adore Jesus. They may honor God with their lips, but our hearts are far from him. But worship is not just in spirit. It's not just emotions that are conjured up without the basis of truth. If we do not have truth, we are not worshiping God, but an idol. And we cannot worship God if we do not know him. And you can't worship God rightly if you don't know him rightly. Worship is both in spirit and in truth. It is a heart that is stirred by the truth to sing to God. Because you see, mere mere external outward conformity to rituals. It may say that we know about God's word, what it says, and we may even agree with it. But there's no adoration But true worship that's in spirit and truth says we know the word made flesh, his truth, have been changed by him through his gospel and love him and his truth. And it causes our hearts to sing. You see, this is not just a way to worship God. This is the way in which we worship God. And if you look at verse 24 again. It says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so thirdly, what we see in our passage here is that true worshipers are defined by God alone. Meaning we do not define worship. We do not decide how we should worship in our own thinking. But God alone in his word determines how we ought to worship him. And that is both in spirit and in truth. It's not a suggestion Jesus gives here. He says those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the basis he gives here in verse 24, he says, God is spirit. And this is one of the greatest declarations put forth in scripture about God's nature. And John MacArthur using scripture says, God is not an exalted man. 
For a spirit does not have flesh and bones. He is the invisible God who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. Had he not revealed himself in scripture and in Jesus Christ, God would be utterly unknowable. And this is the glorious truth that you saw back in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. That God has revealed himself in his word and the word became flesh. Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, has come to us to reveal the Father. And what Jesus tells us in verse 24 is that God is spirit, meaning he cannot be confined to a single location. And the beauty is that all kinds of people who are in Christ around the world, as we worship God here tonight, there are people on the other side of the world worshiping God, for He is not confined to a single location. He is spirit, and we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But I want us to look at verse 23 again. Something that is so beautiful. Look at verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So fourth, true worshipers are sought by God. What Jesus is putting forth here, my friends, is exactly what He's displaying with this Samaritan woman. She was not seeking God, but God Himself was most certainly seeking her. And friends, He is still seeking sinners today. Romans 3, it tells us, Paul puts a universal indictment. He says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. If you are in this room tonight and you are a follower of Jesus, it is not because you were seeking for him, but God sought you and saved you by his grace so that you may come to know him and worship him through Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, in your nature, you do not seek God. We are in rebellion against God in our nature. And it is when we hear the word and we just want nothing to do with it, it shows that rebellion, that we do not seek God. But I pray by his grace that he would open your eyes to see Jesus. As Brother Ben said a few weeks ago in preaching this text, he is all satisfying. Come to Jesus so that you may know him and worship him in spirit and in truth. If we are true worshipers, it is because we have been chosen by God unconditionally before the foundation of the world. And in our rebellion and hatred of him, he opened our eyes to the truth, gave us a new heart, drew us to his son. He has saved us from the power and curse of sin so that we may truly know and worship him. What amazing grace that God has shown us. And as one brother in Christ says, may we not just sing amazing grace. May we continue to be amazed by his grace. He is good. And so fifthly, what I want us to see is that true worshipers know Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture. Look at verses 25 and 26. I want to look at 25 first. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. It's debatable how much this woman understood the truth that Jesus spoke to her. 
and what we just saw him speaking about in reference to worship. She definitely did not comprehend all of what Jesus was saying, which is clear in this response. But she does have hope in a Messiah. She says, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. This teaching about worship, he will explain and clarify all this when he comes. And then in verse 26 is where we reach the climax of this story. Look at verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And I want you to hear Jesus saying that to you through his word tonight. I who speak to you am he. Jesus reveals himself to this woman. The Messiah is not coming. He's already here. The one whom you speak of, you are speaking to. You are looking for the Messiah to come, but it is he you are looking at. This Jesus who came to the well asking the Samaritan woman for a drink of water is the promised Messiah. The eternal son of God who has came to save his people from their sin. The one who gives living water that will cause this woman and all of us who know him to never thirst again. This Jesus is all satisfying and worthy of our worship. And one commentator notes that the word he is not in the original text. So what Jesus actually said was, I who speak to you am. In John's gospel, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And here Jesus declares, I am. I am He. He is the great I am. And when Jesus was talking to Pharisees in John chapter 8, they say, how can this man say he's before Abraham? He's not even yet 50 years old. And Jesus says, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. He is the eternal Son of God who came to save sinners. And you and I, like this woman, were not seeking for God. And we can never earn our way to Him. He sought us and reached down to meet us where we were at. To save us, that we may know him and worship him. So Jesus reveals himself as he is to this woman. Lastly, what I want you to see in this passage is that true worshipers long for others to come and worship God. Look at verses 27 through 30. It says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So the disciples show up on the scene as they return from the city where they were buying food, as we saw back in verse eight. And they are amazed and shocked that Jesus is talking with a woman, especially a Samaritan woman, for she was an outcast in her town. But what we see is as they went to go buy food in the city, Jesus was feeding this woman. 
And Jesus, who shows no partiality, crosses cultural barriers to meet this woman where she was. And what's interesting is in John 4, verses 3 through 4, it says that Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. You see, a direct route from Judea to Galilee would take you through Samaria. And sometimes Jews would take a different route to avoid the Samaritans. But Jesus had a divine appointment with this woman. And he came to save people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Jesus crossed whatever barrier was necessary to meet this woman where she was. Are we willing to do the same? As we learned this morning about partiality, the Lord put it on my heart that sometimes when I am in evangelism, I show partiality. That who am I to have the to write to pick and choose who should hear about Jesus? It doesn't matter what somebody looks like from the outside, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're from another country or from your country, whether they're an outcast or not. Do we reach people with the gospel? Do we long for others, for all kinds of people to know Jesus and to worship him? Because they cannot come to worship in spirit and truth if they do not know Jesus. And what happens is that when the disciples showed up, the woman departs. Verses 28 through 29, it says, The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus reveals himself to this woman. She understands and tastes the living water of eternal life. And with eagerness, she leaves her water jar behind to go to tell the people of her town where she was an outcast about Jesus. She came to fill up her jar with physical water from a well. And when she encounters Jesus and tastes the living water he offers, she realizes the true well was not the hole in the ground. But it was the one she was talking to. And she runs leaving the jar behind to call others to come and see Jesus, to come to the well of living water, to come to Jesus, to know him and to worship him for who he is. Do we genuinely have a longing for others to come and see Jesus? A music group, Beautiful Eulogy, says in one of their songs, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a direct correlation between your profession of faith And your expressions of grace to the hopeless. Those who truly know and worship Jesus have a true longing for others to know and worship Jesus. One of the major fruits of a disciple is that they make disciples, followers of Jesus. When you're at school, or some of you are old enough, you're at work. Or wherever you may be, do you long to tell others about Jesus? And sometimes there's barriers we have to cross, cultural barriers or ethnic barriers. Are we willing to meet these people where they are at to tell them about Jesus? And I pray that if you do not know Jesus, that you would come to him tonight. For he is worthy of our worship.
If you know Jesus, brother and sister, would we be reminded that He is the worthy Lamb that was slain for us? He is our King, our Redeemer, our all-satisfying well. He is worthy. God has created us for Himself. And if you're in His Son, He sovereignly opened your eyes to the truth, gave you a new heart, caused you to be born again, that you may come to Jesus to know Him, and He is sustaining His people, and He will bring His people to the end. He will keep His own. May we worship God for who He is and what He has done for us in Christ, for He is worthy of our worship. Now I want to close by reading a passage from Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Revelations 5, 11-14, it says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing." And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. He is worthy of our worship. Let's pray.